Welcome to the Daily Detox Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Center, integrative health practitioner, licensed occupational therapist, and your health detective. I'm excited to share with you natural, evidence-based, and effective solutions for achieving wellness. Become educated and empowered to transform your health for a more vibrant and happy life. Welcome to Daily Detox. I am your host, Stephanie Center. It's so great to spend some time with you today. If this is your first time tuning in, you picked one heck of an episode. This is jam-packed with some great information that will change the way you view and understand children's mental health. Dr. Rowe has some infectious energy that I just can't get enough of, and her advice is stellar. I highly recommend her book, It's Gonna Be Okay, which I will link in the show notes along with some other ways you can get in touch with her. If you were thinking about getting lab testing done, this is the last day of my back to school special where both you and a friend receive 20% off my services when you sign up together. I offer gut testing, hormone testing, organic acids, food sensitivities. I can do a thyroid panel. There are hundreds of tests that we can do, and it's really dependent on, on the person. So I hate to kind of name tests when it's really dependent on what you need. Um, but these tests really help us get to the bottom of what's going on in your body so that you can get back to being you again. You can sign up today by clicking the link in my show notes. Okay. Let me introduce Dr. Rowe. Dr. Rowe, well, Dr. Roseanne is a mental health trailblazer. She is the founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health and Dr. Roseanne LLC, who is changing the way we view and treat children's mental health. Forbes magazine called her a thought leader in children's mental health. Her work has helped thousands reverse the most challenging conditions such as ADHD, anxiety, mood, autism, learning disability, Lyme, pans and pandas using proven holistic therapy, such as neurofeedback, biofeedback, and psychotherapy. She is the author of the first ever book on teletherapy activities for child and adolescent therapists, the teletherapy toolkit. She's also the author of her newest book. It's going to be okay. She works with kids and families with remote neurofeedback and her Get Unstuck program and Raising Successful Kids Community, which are resources for parents to improve their child's symptoms and develop grit and resilience. She is often featured on dozens of media outlets like Fox, CBS, NBC, Parents, and New York Times. Please help me in giving a warm welcome to Dr. Roseanne. Well, hey, Dr. Roseanne, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for um, gracing us with this wonderful book. I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Well, I'm so excited for this conversation and uh, thanks for the awesome feedback about my book. I certainly poured my heart into it and Mm -hmm. uh, really laid out the step-by-step way to deal with mental health issues, behaviors, attentional, all these neurodevelopmental disorders that so many kids are, you know, struggling with absolutely dramatic increase in these 30 years that I've been working with kids. So, you know, there's so much we can do. And that's what I'm all about is about solutions for struggling kids. And this is perfect timing. I feel like, because, uh, when I started, when I started my practice, I thought I was going to be working with 
perimenopausal, postmenopausal women do, you know, doing gut and hormone testing. And I'm finding that a big majority of my caseload is, is younger, like children and teenagers. I was not expecting that. And so that really, because you thought they were going to be healthier. Exactly. I was yeah. shocked. And so now I'm digesting that. Okay. Who I thought I was going to be working with is not the population that I'm actually working with. And so I just want to ask you questions about like, why, like, why is that? Why is it important to address the, the, you know, mental well-being of kids and what's at stake if we don't? Well, first of all, you know, our kids are sort of our canaries in the coal mine, right? Mm -hmm. So they are a reflection of the changes that are happening to us, these epigenetic changes. Um, and, you know, when one in two kids in America have a physical or a mental health problem, and that data is 10 years old, I don't even know what it's going to be like now. It's serious, right? Um, and, you know, who doesn't want the best for kids? It does, you don't even have to be a parent to want the best for kids. Um, we, we want our kids to be healthy and vibrant and happy. And that's just not what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for, for everybody who, you know, who's listening to this episode is because they work with or care about a kid and we need to give people the tools to change us. I think that's the thing that is really scary to me is what is happening with health and that we're such a, you know, disease focused <laughs> um, yeah. society without really talking about any of those root causes. And there's just so much we can do to support the physical and mental health of kids. And parents have no flipping idea. Like that's the most shocking thing to me. Like I, I didn't intake the other night and whenever I talk about things, you know, like, please know I project the identity and pretty much a lot of things that happen around, you know, my Ridgefield, Connecticut center, whether people are in person or virtually, it's a lot of the same, right. You know, so, you know, I had worked with a family who was very into integrative care and their child had OCD and they never, ever heard of the number one most effective type of psychotherapy for OCD, which is called ERP, which is exposure and response prevention. They had never heard of it. Not one professional they had ever worked with had told them about it. And they literally had their life hijacked by their child's OCD. And somehow, somewhere, somebody was like, you got to see Roseanne. She does a lot of work with OCD. And, you know, they were like, this is unbelievable. I was like, oh yeah, you do this, this, and this. I was like, it works. And they were like, when does it not work? I said, number one reason it doesn't work is when parents don't fall through on the practice um, because, because the exposure part of OCD causes agitation. Anyway, what's the point of this story is we're not giving people the right information. They have no idea how to hello, not just reduce, sometimes reverse these issues. And instead it's a lot of spinning wheels. It's a lot of, do you think I should take the med? And I was like, did your psychiatrist provide you research to show that that psychiatric medication A is allowed for children and B is effective for that issue? No, cause it's not, <laughs> you know? So we're just, we need to get information out. We have to be deeply concerned about our kids. It's, it, there's even just for financial ramifications, they say that by 2044, one in four children will have autism. Wow. We will not financially be able no. to support those children. 
Well, I was reading in your book, It's Going to Be Okay, that um, you, I think you mentioned somewhere that the average age of onset for anxiety is six. Six. What? So, okay. What are, what is causing this disruption in mental well-being yeah. in today's kids? Well, whew, I mean, you know, that alone is, is three hour time. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> it's not one thing. It's multifactorial and it's sort of this perfect storm convergence at the same time. So like, let's break it out. Let's, let's give, and they're all things that can be addressed, right? Mm -hmm. So, so one, we've genetic, dramatic increase in genetic mutations that are affecting how our kids utilize nutrients in the brain and body, how they detoxify, and, and they're just causing increases in these things like ADD, um, bipolar, mood disorders, you name it, there's an increase. It doesn't mean genetic inheritability. It means that, that we're having these mutations that impact how we use nutrients. So I think that's a huge, huge factor. We have changes in food quality. We have increases in toxins. And for me, one of the biggest things is maternal parent and child stress. So we have mothers having babies. They're very stressed. We know through research. So anybody who, if you get my book, it's going to be okay. You're going to see the 40 pages of single space citations. I don't mess around. And I always say, this is nerdy stuff with Dr. Rao. Like I am a total nerd and I want to give validity to these science-backed natural mm -hmm. treatments because hello, there is a lot of validity. And we have to start with science so that things like um, nutrition therapy or um, different types of psychotherapy have some beef to it. Like that people aren't going to be like, well, you know, I mean, people come to me all the time and they're like, this neurofeedback, does it work? Is it going to hurt my kid? I'm like, you're talking to me about Xanax, putting your kid on Xanax. How is that safe? Right. You know? <laughs> So, so we have these different things going on, but chronic stress is absolutely the biggest health epidemic for sure in America. And boy, did the pandemic highlight that. I mean, you know, you got to see who had it together in the pandemic and not to say that people didn't have real stressors. Um, but that's the, it's really there. And then we have a big increase in infectious disease. I talk a lot about infectious disease. I think that's one of the biggest changes. I mean, I've been working with people with Lyme for about 25 years now. Um, and because I live in the Northeast and it's just, it's literally, if I went outside right now and rolled around outside, I'd have a tick on me in the, on a lawn. And you would too in Tennessee. It's very common. People don't think of it as common um, in Southern states, but it is common. And so infectious disease and our bodies can't process things like strep and even simple things like, you know, a herpes six virus, a cold virus, and we're getting our kids are destabilizing. So we, we can't handle the level of mental health crises. I think Colorado this summer declared a state of emergency in children's mental health. Wow. Like, you can't that. get into psych hospitals in the last few months. You can't get, you know, uh, it's, it's bad. And, and our psych hospitals shouldn't be the first line of defense, even when a kid is in crisis. We should have other things. So, you know, many, many, many factors 
that I could go on, including developmentally inappropriate education. And how about the other kids being super stressed around our kids? You know what I mean? Like, I think we feel that right now. I feel the stress level of everybody else in the world right now, you know? You know, we recently watched that, um, oh, and I'm not going to think of the name of it, the documentary that is about the Lori Laughlin and, and, you know, the parents paying to get their kids into college. Yes. And the beginning of that documentary, they interviewed a bunch of teenagers who were talking about getting into college and the, like you could just taste the anxiety they were feeling. And I remember going to college, you know, it was a little over a decade ago. It it was a big deal to get into college, but it nowhere near the stress that these kids are facing today. Nowhere near. We didn't have social media back then. It wasn't, like all kids trying to get into the same prestigious schools. It was like, just get into a school and be happy about it. Right. And so that kind of opened my eyes to maybe some of the, just a tiny little snippet of what, what type of stress kids are dealing with today and how it's different from, well, shoot, just even social media. I didn't have a a Facebook until I went to college. That wasn't a thing. And I'm so grateful for it. That's like, I was listening to you talk about bullying actually. And just, that's its whole category of bullying. Yeah, absolutely. Exclusionary bullying, these poor kids, like the kids kick them off of group chats and this and that. And then, and then if they, you know, talked, one parent talks to another parent, they're like, my kid didn't do anything wrong to your kid. You know, like there's no accountability. It's just Mm -hmm. very, very different, you know, and um, I know bullying has been around a long time. It's never easy and it's never right. Um, but it's, it's definitely different. And, you know, you're right. I mean, Facebook and social media and Instagram, it's all so fake, you know, it's just so fake. It's so much pressure. I, it is palatable how these kids feel less than Mm -hmm. if they're not a straight A student. I tell all the kids, okay, I know it's eighties, but Dr. Rowe was definitely not a straight A student. (laughs) She wasn't even a B student when she was in high school. I did the bare minimum. I read books when I was in school, not related to my class, but I did my homework and I went to school generally. I'm not saying I, I definitely skipped school an awful lot, dozens of times in a year. So, but it was fine. I went to college and I literally was like a straight A plus 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 student. I was like, this is awesome. I can <laughs> drop a boring class and take an exciting class when I go there. I mean, it was just amazing and I loved it or whatever. It was a very different time. And um, I didn't have pressure. It didn't matter. They were like, oh, you're going to college. And also, if you didn't go to college, you know, when I was in school, it didn't matter as long as you were doing something. Some, oh, yeah. he's going to work for a year. Oh, he's going to do this. He's going to community college we didn't look down on people. So there is really an unrealistic pressure. I mean, that what a great documentary show that these people had unbelievable amount of affluence and they were sending their message to their kids. If you don't get in here, you're not as good of a person. Yeah. It was, it just, I don't know. It, 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 um, to be honest, like it made me emotional because I can't imagine having that kind of pressure being so young and not knowing, not having necessarily the skill set to deal with it. I mean, honestly, it's so true. And, you know, I was working with a girl this year and she said, you know, her parents couldn't have been more lovely. They were like, we don't care about your grades. 
you are the most lovely girl. You're so mature. We never have to worry about you. Like when you say you're going to be here, you're there. You're, you're the kind of kid who's like, mom, we're going to have some wine coolers. I know they don't drink wine coolers, but we're going to have, we're going to have some spike seltzers. And her parents are like, she'll have two. Like, she, you know, they get her, they trust her. We're not advocating drinking, but, but, <laughs> but they, teaching moderation. They don't worry yeah. about her doing dumb stuff. They feel good. She's a good decision maker when they're not around. That's what we want our kids to be. That's not what people focus on. And, you know, every day people come to me and they're like, I want my kid to be less stressed. I want that, whatever. I'm going to tell you nine times out of 10, people are so full of shit. All they want is straight A's from their kids. They don't, they don't really care. Their subconscious is like, I'm here and I want my kid to be less stressed because I want them to be a straight A student, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's a hundred percent, but I'm saying everybody's on the hamster wheel. Right. And it doesn't serve us. And this poor girl was like, if I'm not in these classes, my friends don't see me as smart. My friends don't see that. And so there's a, there's this social part of this that is wonderful. So she's got to go to counseling about her anxiety of not being an A student. Wow. She now pathologized it, which we're not pathologizing it, but she has so much angst. You know, I say all the time, I would love for there to be a mandatory gap year where in, in the United States, you are have to do a year of service of some kind. So that way, wouldn't that be cool? And like the okay. government paid you, the government paid you like whatever, let's say, a thousand dollars a month, something, you know what I mean? And, um, or you got college money, you got like your first year of college or something. I don't, I don't want to penalize the people that don't want to go to college. And they then were focused on, Oh, where are you? Are you going to the Peace Corps? Oh, are, are you going to uh, the military? Like, what are you doing for your year of service? And then they don't have to have that pressure in their last year of, you know, I'm going here, I'm going there. And I, I just think it would change it. And then we'd focus on giving, right? What, what are you giving? What are you doing? How are you helping others? You know, that that's my dream. That's, that's a wonderful idea. I've never thought of that before, but what a, what a way to take the, take the pressure off and, and be productive at the same time. And, and yeah, I think all, well, my parents were very big on service projects. We would always yeah. do service projects. And uh, not only did they teach me to be more compassionate to those that had less than I had, but I mean, I, those are memories that will last a lifetime. And what and great I got on a paper. Help, right? It does. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we yeah. would always say it, it was almost a selfish trip, right? Like, oh, that service trip we took to Guatemala. I got more out of it than those kids did because, you know, and then you kind of, you have to struggle with, well, who got the most benefit out of this? Is it selfish for me to go on a service trip and, and that whole, that whole thing. Um, but back, back to this idea of, of stressed children, because I, I feel yeah. like this is something you, I, I love the way you go about this in your book. And I want to talk about this. You, you mention symptom reversal yeah. versus treating symptoms. Right. Can you talk about that? Cause I love it. Yeah. I mean, so we, we have this idea that it's criminal to like 
say you can reverse symptoms, right? And so, you know, when we think about symptoms, you know, we're always like, oh, you have to treat it. Oh, you have anxiety. It's something you're going to be afflicted with the rest of your life. I mean, first of all, we're already setting somebody up to believe that they can never get better from this right? Which is such a problem for me, right? And, you know, a lot of this has to do, and, you know, please know that I, I am classically trained, but I've gone out of my way to train myself in every possible way. And I've been doing this for 30 years. I came right out and was like, what do you mean? I tried this. It's not working and there's gotta be something else. And so in the early, you know, in the nineties, what did I do? I went to microfiche. And I started looking and started researching and it wasn't that hard to find alternative ways to support it. And so we talk about symptom reversal. First of all, we have to start with belief. And I think when you're, when you're a parent or it's you, right? And I focus on kids and families because I'm so worried about kids and families. And, um, and I just love kids. Kids don't know they can't get better and they have no, they'll believe whatever you tell them. So you're like, you know, I worked with a kid today and I was like, listen, I don't care how many things you did. You got this pans, you got this OCD. We're done with it. It's happening. And he's like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, and I know his mom and his mom's like, yes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay. They weren't like, maybe, what do you think? What are the chances? They were like, that's right. You know, and I just love them for that, you know? So we have to believe, we have to start believing and, and it, and we have to break free from that. Oh, you're going to have to take this pill for the rest of your life. You're going to have to do all that. And that's so important. And, and when we start with that, and then we have to say, what's the root cause? Is there a behavioral component of this? Not meaning this person is doing this on purpose, but is there habituation? What's happening in the nervous system? What's happening in the brain? Let's look at things from what research tells us about learned behavioral patterns and let's break free from that. And then let's look at all the common things. You know, is this genetic mutation? Is this, hello, poor nutrition? You know, like I tell everybody all the time, like you can't eat Cheetos and think you're going to be off, like your brain's like going to be a Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not happening. It just doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, you know, I always say the Cheetos company is going to come out and do a hit on me. I'm going to go out to my car and they're going to do a hit on me because I'm always knocking Cheetos. <laughs> so I'm like, who still eats Cheetos? Somebody had the audacity to bring Cheetos to my pool party last month. And I was like, I told you not to bring this, this, and this, and you bring Cheetos. You want this here or you want me to throw it out? You know what I mean? Like, I was like, this ain't happening. These kids aren't eating Cheetos. And my 10 year old was like, who eats Cheetos? And I was like, not your friends. I mean, they don't, but maybe this one kid did. I don't know what happened. So we have to start see, believing. And I, you know, I've worked with thousands of people and I've been able to support them. I've never had somebody that you can't help unless they don't believe and they back out. Right. And sometimes people aren't ready for the journey. I mean, some of these things are hard. But when I think about uh, OCD, you have to do a safe exposure. You have to be willing to get rid of your obsessive thoughts. And it's not easy, but it's like you expose it, you accelerate, you activate the nervous system very sharply. And then there's once they are exposed, it goes down very, very quick. And so you 
you activate and then you reduce, you activate and you reduce. And finally you come off the mountain and that's exactly you're hacking into the nervous system. And this, uh, what happens is it ignites like a negative reinforcement, you know? So we can't, we can't do the same things over and over and expect somebody to learn and do things. But symptom reversal is absolutely possible. Even condition reversal. I've been part of many, many times I've seen somebody completely lose their ADD diagnosis or autism diagnosis. I've also been with people where they're very, very impaired and we've been able to reduce the level of impairment. And parents are like, Roseanne, I'm so happy they can sleep better. They talk to me more. We still have a lot of the same issues, but the severity is much better. Great. You know, and you just don't know what the brain and body is possible. But a lot of times, you know, especially when it comes to like, oh, you've got a kid with ADD, he's going to have to be on meds his whole life. I mean, that's just crazy talk. You know, why would we do that? You know, I didn't know that that was a thing that they were telling kids, you're going to, you're going to be taking this indefinitely. That's, that's kind of scary. Well, they say it's a condition you're going to have your whole life you know, and, um, you know, they want to paint the picture that even ADD meds are very safe. I mean, it's very easy for people to get ADD meds. I'm sure even when you were in college, you probably had a lot of kids you knew were on ADD meds. You know, I, maybe I just never asked. You didn't, uh, let me tell you, it's almost uncommon today for, for college kids to, to not be on meds. Yeah, actually my sister, she's about a, a, a little less than a decade younger than me, she would talk about, I remember her talking about her friends yeah. taking different things before exams and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I think and the level of anxiety, there's so many people, you know, yeah. today adults, pre-pandemic, one in six adults are on a psych med. Wow. Wow. That's extraordinary. Taking a quick break from the show so that we can have some real talk about reducing your exposure to toxins all while supporting a small, local, female-founded business. You know, I have been on the hunt for non-toxic candles for years, like literally years, without finding anything that meets my standards. I really enjoy both the aroma and the ambiance that candles have on the, the mood, the vibe, the atmosphere. I mean, candles can make a huge difference in just how cozy your home feels. And okay, I know this is going to sound like first world problems, but I felt really deprived when I had to give up candles after my run-in with mold toxicity because literally nothing on the market is safe. And that's when I came across Sea Love candles. Not only are these the best smelling candles and also, if I might add, cutest looking candles on planet Earth but they are 100% non-toxic and they're eco-friendly. The founder, Stacy, started this company because her husband had asthma and he couldn't tolerate the synthetic fragranced candles. So what did she do? She started making her own. This company is a small batch shop off the coast of Maine, and I highly recommend considering giving them your business over the big box chain companies that provide little in terms of quality and sustainability. Visit sealovecandles.com. That's S-E-A, like, you know, the water, C, love, L-O-V-E, candles.com. And use the code holistichouse10, 
for 10% off your purchase as a thank you for both listening to this podcast and supporting a wonderful small business. Again, that's S-E-A-L-O-V-E candles.com and the code is holistichouse10. I love the warmth and the glow of these candles at night. I, I actually, I even light a candle at my desk on a rainy day. It just, it makes me so happy and I hope it'll make you happy too. Okay, let's get back to the show. I really like that you address belief. That's something that I had to learn the hard way. If, yeah. if you're gonna work with somebody, like they, they have to be all in, they have to believe they can get better. If they don't believe, you know, it goes back to that Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And I have to, yeah. I have to tell myself that when working with folks. Well, and you know, here's the thing. This is what I, you know, I said this to like two people today. You know, your brain will believe anything you tell it, right? Hmm. Why are you going to tell it negative stuff? Like you think, you think um, Steve Jobs said, you know, this computer is never going to work. He was like, this is the best damn computer it's ever going to happen, you know? (laughs) And, and, you know, you have to, these visionaries, these entrepreneurs, they say the positive, they put it out loud and their brain is like every fiber in their being believes it, right? Okay. Maybe sometimes it doesn't happen, but let me tell you, son, it's a lot more likely to happen. And, you know, what happens for parents, Mm -hmm. let me tell you, I've been on the worry train. I'm a special needs mom times two. You get on the worry train. I mean, I've been driving the bus sometimes when you're when you're on the train, right? You know, driving the train. And you're like, oh my gosh, your your brain is as on fire as your kid's brain. And you don't think with clarity and you start questioning, is this the right treatment? Should I do this? Should I do that? Like, oh, should I do this OT? And you know, this is what I'll say to parents. Do you notice your kid is more regulated and calm? Yeah. Why are you questioning it? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I should now do meds. Wait a second. Wait a second. You've been doing this. You went five times. You're already noticing something different. Get off the worry train, stick with it and do it. You know, because the idea that there's a magic bullet is really, you know, some magic pill is really part of our culture at this point. Right. I mean, you can't watch TV today without five commercials in the middle of the day, you know, some kind of pharma. I mean, my 10 year old is like a 57 year old. Anybody, you know, we talk a lot about him. His name is John Carl. He's really funny. He's very, um, he's dyslexic and he picks up on all the details and uh, he has my mother's memory and he can sort of uh, recall information almost like a record from the day. It's pretty crazy. So he's listening to this commercial. It was like three commercials in a row. And it was like, you can take this. They were all psoriasis commercials. You know how it goes. And, and it was like, you can take this, but then you might have cancer and then you might have a heart attack and then you might have it. So he waits for the commercials to be over. And he's like, Matt, I mean, why do people take that if you're going to get cancer and all that? And I said, John Carl, this is what I'm talking about, buddy. Yeah. You know, this is what I talk about. <laughs> He's like, I know this is terrible. He's like, I don't understand why people don't figure that out. And I'm like, I'm trying. That's why I'm on TV all the time. And, um, you know, I thought I say even a 10 year old got it. This is not really the odds aren't in your favor. It's like a cost benefit analysis is not a good benefit, you know, so they just, they're just hoping you're watching the happy people playing tennis in the background or something. <laughs> My gosh. So true. Right. 
Well, that is the perfect segue into my next question, because you talk about a lot of different holistic therapies in your book. And I love that you, I mean, you have the research to back them up too. You provide so many sources that, that folks can, you know, read on their own. You talk about neurofeedback, biofeedback, nutrition, movement, even meditation. Can you, can you talk a bit about why you prioritize these strategies and and, and I love, and I'm going to quote you here, you, you want your kids to like learn how, learn skills and not take pills or something, something like that. It's like, this is genius. <laughs> right. You know, today, you know, I was talking to a mom today and, and uh, she was like, there was a crisis. So when there's a crisis, it means you got to be seen by another professional, maybe not holistic. And the person was like, you must put this kid on meds. And this was a trained medical professional who's holistic. And she was like, what do you think? And I was like, why are you asking me? You know the answer to this. Your kid's sensitive. He's much more likely to be harmed. She doesn't have training. She doesn't have training. We have her training plus all the other trainings. She doesn't have that training. She has the same training that she got when she left school 15 years ago. Okay. So you got to start understanding, you got to understand, you know, what happens, but why did I pick these things? So first of all, I want to say that I believe in a lot of things. I love occupational therapy. I love speech. I love woo woo stuff like Reiki. You know, I like energy work. I like all these kinds of things. And so does that mean that everything else outside of these things don't work. No, but I've been pushing the boundaries for 30 years of what we know about mental health. And I really have to lead with evidence-based approaches. Um, and so, right. I mean, that's just what you have to do. So when somebody gives me a hard time, which is a lot in, in my profession, right. Cause I think mental health is a dinosaur. You have to, look at what works. And these are many things that I do. Right. And so I've had a lot of experience and I've tried different things. Like, you know, we've tried EMDR. I love EMDR. It doesn't work for my population, but in another population, it might be the best thing in the whole world. So, and there's lots of solid research behind it. So what, what really all these things do, <laughs> you know, they calm the damn nervous system down, right? <laughs> So, you know, no learning can occur with an activated nervous system. I don't understand why this is groundbreaking work. It's, <laughs> it's, it's common sense. It's what the brain does. Again, everything I do, what does the brain tell us? Why are we trying to pretend that talk therapy works when a kid is so it's so freaking out of his mind with anxiety? We've moved terms like brain on fire. You got a brain on fire, sit down and talk to me is not going to do anything. He's physiologically incapable yeah. of processing language. So why aren't we doing like, like I had somebody this week and uh, his brain's on fire. He's had to leave school and stuff. So I said, what helped? What has ever helped? You know what they said? OT. And I said, okay, so are we doing OT every day? We doing the exercises? No. Okay. So let's start doing these exercises. Then I met with the therapist here who he's going to work with and she's a movement lover. She does all these brain-based exercises. She's like, okay, we're going to do movement in every session. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. So we started what we know and there's some basis to it. There's good science behind OT, 
but we had, he regulates his nervous system through that movement. Then we can come in with some learning, right? We're obviously going to do neurofeedback with him. We're going to do a bunch of other things, but meditation, breath work, these are things that are, that are inexpensive that are f- or free, easy, and get that damn nervous system calmed down. That, that's why I chose what I chose. And there's a lot of good research behind it. Mm, I love that. Yes. I, I mean, I could speak from my own experience that that helps calm my nervous system down. If I, you know, and I, I agree. I, I, can identify with being activated and thinking, you know, seeing red and not being able yeah. to, you know, make logical decisions. Like when you're angry or emotional or something, you, that's not the best time to be, you know, buying a house or <laughs> no, or having a conversation with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your boss, or, you know, these are not, <laughs> this is not the time to do those things. Right. But yet we think because they're a kid that they should be able to calm down you know, and, and make those changes, you know, and, um, it's just so easy today, as we talked about for kids to get into these agitated states for, you know, I think parents think there has to be a reason for the stress and stress can just have such a cumulative effect. It can build over time and the sensory system starts activating And it becomes something else. It doesn't mean there couldn't have been a small nexus or even a big nexus, right? Um, But we're just constantly bombarded by stressors. And for kids today, as we talked about, academics and social pressures are a lot. I would not survive today with my life as a teenager online. Oh, I would be in big trouble. Yeah, I can't. I would have been set to boarding school, I tell you that. (laughs) Well, I like that you're, you're, so I wanted to, to bring this topic up because you, you do a really nice job of diving into stress versus anxiety in your book and and differences. Um, Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the differences between stress and anxiety and, and how to identify them? Sure. And it's a conversation I have all the time because it's an important one and signs of stress, signs of anxiety are often missed and, you know, you know, stress, we all have stress. We have normal responses, right? You know, we were joking before we got started, like you're getting a, a, a mattress delivery and I got a hurricane alert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I text my husband, like hurricane alert, right? You know what I mean? So, and I let it go. <laughs> yeah. And I moved into the laundry room, which nobody, nobody can see, but if you That's right. hear sound, it's because they knocked on the door and I had to. I so had to. all of a sudden it was off routine. Your, your, your autonomic nervous system is the job manager of stress, right? So you get a stressor, it goes from a chill out parasympathetic, which I call the hot tub state to a stressed out sympathetic dominant. And if you have a healthy system and you're taking care of it, and we can talk about ways to take care of it, it goes up. Then it goes down. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to a healthy baseline. It kind of home, you know, it's there, you, you know, you, you're, you're getting regular oil changes. You're balancing your tires, like a vehicle, you know, everything works the way it's supposed to. Right. But you don't get your oil changed. You keep riding on those tires that should have been changed 
10,000 miles ago, as soon as a slick day happens, boom, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, my car is all over the place. I almost got into an accident and you start getting wear and tear. And that's what that chronic stress state, Mm -hmm. we keep getting stressors without taking care of ourselves. And yes, please know this is happening to kids. It can switch into full on clinical anxiety. And you know, what is clinical anxiety? It's when it's significant and it's interfering with some area of your life. You have problems with the relationships. It's interfering with school. Um, you know, it's interfering with your job, whatever's going on, there's gotta be some type of recourse. And, you know, I think some of the misnomers about stress and anxiety in kids is one, we think you can be young and missed. You think your kids bright verbal that they're able to tell you, I'm feeling very depressed. I'm feeling very anxious. That's not what happens. It's rare. You know, you'd have to have lots of ongoing conversations all the time, basically be a therapist kid. And then, (laughs) right. And that, and and then, um, and then we, we think that it's just so observable and with kids and teens, it tends to be physical. They tend to do things like, um, like I just had somebody today, they had a hard time swallowing for, for months. Everybody knew they had a hard time swallowing. It was very anxiety related. Um, but it was missed. Wow. Okay. Because they were like, well, what about this? And it was just lots of anxiety. That's the way it manifested themselves. When they went back and kind of checked everything out and they were like, well, he actually has been a little more withdrawn. He's been a little bit this, but like a great kid. So people think, well, he has friends. He has this. How can he be that? Right. And so the other big myth is like, you can be anxious and depressed and there has to be a reason. There has to be a single reason that caused that uh, friendship change. You've moved the loss of a pet. While that can absolutely happen, again, the cumulative effect of stress can produce all the sudden stress and anxiety. But, you know, when it comes to anxiety, as you mentioned earlier, the average age of onset is age six. So we're missing the signs. It's like crazy how often mental health issues are missed. Yeah. And I think that that was, you know, one of the reasons that that drove me to ask this question because, and I really appreciate your clarification because it, it's not like a child can say to, can verbalize, oh, I'm experiencing stress right now. Or yeah, I, I think anxiety, that's what I have. Yes. Yeah. Like, it, Mom, dad, yes. I have intrusive thoughts about right. somebody coming in and killing me at night, you know, or, you know, these kind of things, or they miss like, so one of the biggest signs of anxiety or OCD is actually reassuring questions. So mom, what time are you going to be home? Oh, I'm going to be home at six. No. What time are you going to be home? I, I just told you I'm going to be home at six. Like just those kind of things sort of fly under the radar and they kind of build. And then you kind of get into this habit of answering them or doing bedtime routines or, or even with teenagers, you, you think it's developmental, right? And sometimes it is like, yes, pretty much all teenagers get cranky. Okay. Some don't. Um, I've told John, my John Carl, he's going to not be allowed to be a cranky teenager. And he said, but mom, that's what you're supposed to do. I said, not you. (laughs) You are so animated. I love it so much. (laughs) And I really do have 
have this convers these conversations, you know, my kids. Thank God my 16-year-old is 16 now because he's not as much a pain in the tuchus anymore. But um, <laughs> and they're they're so funny. They let me have these conversations with them. Like, and I say, I say, I talked about you in my podcast today, you know, and these kind of things are so cute. <laughs> So they're trying to black uh, get. I'm trying to bribe them to be on my TikToks for some cash. Oh, so, um, but my my youngest does videos and stuff with me. My teenager's like, no, and I'm like, all you have to do is roll your eyes. Just roll your eyes. He's like, mm, maybe. I'm like, come on, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you have to have these conversations. Like, you know, my my kids are very comfortable being like you know, I'm feeling so angry and I don't know why, or mm. these kind of things with me. And then I'm like, how can I help you? You know, let's talk, let's think about what's going on. You know, I often say I'm very much as my book, you know, I like to talk about connecting to the body and the somatic experiencing, which yes. is, you know, my, some two of my best friends are OTs. So, um, yeah, I love Ooh. it. I always was like, I'm not an OT too. I love it. So, um, and cause movement, right. Does so much for the brain and body. Mm. It helps to regulate the nervous system. It gets oxygen to the frontal lobes. I mean, there's just so many beautiful things that can happen when you get the body moving, but with kids and teens, when you move the body, the lips move. That's what I always say. So we integrate oh. a lot of movement into our psychotherapy because these are kids with a lot of issues, right? In layers, right? Not that I don't have sometimes a straight ADD kid. I'm like, he's just got ADD, nothing else. It's a miracle, you know? Because <laughs> that's the other thing that's changed in these 30 years is these kids get like layers of issues and don't worry about it. I've seen them most 99.9%. Everyone always comes to me and says, this is the worst case. I'm like, absolutely not. You know? <laughs> but movement really stimulates kids' communication. It's one of my favorite tips for parents wow. when they say, you know, why, why is my, you know, I can't get my kid to talk. I was like, get their butts out, shoot some hoops, do something physical with them because their brain will, their, they'll, their energies are put into the movement and they're not going to be resistant to communication. Wow. That's an awesome tip. It's one of my faves. Love that. Yes. You also, in your book, you, you talk about nutrition in great detail and you talk about the importance of it, And I love the way that you've broken this down because I feel like this is what I preach <laughs> and it's just so validating to hear somebody else you know, on the same page. Can you talk about the, you, well, you talk about nutrition and supplements and I wanted to ask yeah. you about both of those because, well, first of all, what, what is the role that nutrition plays in a child's mental well-being outside of Cheetos? Yeah. <laughs> and what are some of those strategies that you, uh, you list out some really great strategies to get kids to make healthy decisions? Cause yeah. it's not like you can just put a plate of, you know, no. in front of a kid and they're going to eat mm -hmm. it. It's a process. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, again, what you put in your mouth affects your brain and body. Mm. Okay. We need to accept this <laughs> and, and embrace it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so my kids are foodies extraordinaire. Okay. And I always tell my kids, Hey, you kids better get damn good jobs because you guys like Kobe beef and crab legs and <laughs> 
octopus, like you like all the scallops, you know, they'll eat it like, like they're vacuums. Right. And, you know, nutrition is what powers us. And when our kids are struggling in any way, shape or form, you got a one in two chance people. Okay. They need this nutrition for their brain to work properly. You want that, right? Like, of course you do. And, you know, there's all kinds of diets in the world, but the diet I prescribe is really just anti-inflammatory diet. It's a lot of fat. It's a lot of fruits, vegetables, and consistent protein. It is, that is truly the key. And when you eat those foods, you have a lot less need for sugar. And really, I don't love sugar. You shouldn't really have sugar, but you can have maple syrup and honey and agave. Um, And you're saying to myself, how am I going to get my kids off that? I'm telling you, if I can have a mom with three autistic kids do it, you can too. (laughs) And, and there's a, I give you lots of practical tips um, I'd say my favorite number one tip out of everything I talk about, because it has so many levels in how it helps kids, is to get your kids, no matter what age they are, if they're super little or they're older, to make their own food. And, you know, and don't have crap in your house, people. Right. Like, don't fill it with stuff that's like easy to grab, that's junk. Have easy to grab healthy things you know, eggs, have eggs ready. They like chicken, have chicken ready, you know, have, have vegetables ready, but make sure they got yummy spices on them. Like don't just put plain carrot sticks in there. That gets really boring. So, you know, and when you make your, when kids make their own food, they're more willing to experiment and they also get such a sense of pride and self-esteem. I think you should you know, have each kid be like, this is your night or this is your meal that you're cooking. And whether you have to help them, it's just a great way to get kids to be more open, you know, and change isn't easy and don't expect your kid to be healthy. And then you're going to sit around and eat donuts in front of them. It doesn't work like that either. Right. Yeah. I I see that one a lot. Like do as I say, and not as I do. That doesn't work. That does not work. (laughs) <laughs> Your kids got to be gluten-free because they're allergic. And then all this, you know, they're the only one. No, everybody yeah. go be gluten-free. It's why I don't allow, nobody's allowed to bring gluten or dairy to my house. I love that. Yeah. We, we are the same. We are gluten and dairy. We're the same. And I just specify it. You know, you want to come to the Hodge house. Let me tell you, you want to come to the Hodge house. You got to bring something that's gluten dairy-free. Or I ask you if you want me to throw it out or put, put it back in the car. I don't mess around. It's just how it goes. So people know. Apparently that lady yeah. didn't know last month. I didn't know her. She, she said does. her kid with a friend. And I was well, like, I, I should clarify. I am gluten and dairy free unless I'm like traveling in Europe or if I'm, if I'm traveling somewhere far away, I want to experience the local cuisine. That Got is it. My, that is my one time. So I, I just feel well, like listen, if you're in other countries, it's not, doesn't have the same level of pesticide. So it doesn't. And, and I actually, I got to spend a great deal of time in England and I, I could eat everything there and I never felt bad. So that's amazing. Yeah. It, I mean, and plus you can't walk around Paris without a baguette in your hand. That's just <laughs> against the law, I think. But, but yeah, I think, oh gosh, I could, I could go on a soapbox about yeah. pesticides and herbicides in the United States versus 
other countries because yeah I mean it's just not allowed what we put the chemicals that we put in in the food here is not permitted it's illegal in many other countries and it should be illegal here too yeah I know a lot of hands being greased and then as far as supplements you know I'm a big fan of supplements um I have lots of awesome this book is filled with lots of this is the supplement for OCD this is the supplement because that's actually some of my biggest questions that people ask me so uh and that supplements and homeopathy was my first love before I got involved in neurofeedback and biofeedback because uh if anybody's ever read the Bach and Bach book you know that was um it's just, it's like literally an encyclopedia. Like you're like psoriasis and it tells you what supplements. Oh, that's so, awesome. you know, that's, there wasn't, there wasn't podcasts. There weren't awesome things to just download information easily. Um, so, you know, people are looking for resources on well, how to support their kid. And there's amazing things. I mean, I have B12 on my desk right now because it's on every desk that I work on because it's my go-to for jacking up my brain. Hmm. Yes. I, you're, I mean, your list is so extensive and I love that you, you have essentially a couple of paragraphs for each, each supplement that you recommend on, on why you recommend it and, you know, wh- how it interacts in the body. And I, it, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it's the reason behind supplementation is that because our food no longer contains the nutritional value that it once did, or is that because you, you, you talk a great deal about the NTHFR gene mutation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it because of gene mutations? Oh. Both. Okay. Yeah. And also because we're in chronic stress states and we have higher infectious disease. I don't think people realize that when your nervous system is stuck in the hyperactivated stress state, when it's in a rev state, you actually are burning more fuel, right? So you're going to need more magnesium. You're going to need more vitamin D. You're going to need these nutrients that are required for the body to actually work. That's why people who have chronic stress get physical illness. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's an aha moment for people because you're literally just burning it up, burning it up, burning it up. I mean, again, it's almost rare that I meet people that don't have uh, a moderate to severe level of stress. I, you know, I can't even, I, I was thinking about, I spent a great deal of time thinking about stress today versus stress. 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can look at research and you can see like the introduction of glyphosate and then the, and then you can look at autoimmune diseases and they, they kind of go hand in hand. You can, yeah. and you can look at, um, I had, uh, Dr. Ailey Cohen on, on this podcast and she was, Oh yeah. She She's was, all about toxins. Yes. And she was talking about the, just the, the sheer number of toxins introduced into the, the world each year and how they're not regulated and how, our bodies are, are just an overload in what we need to process. Then we have, you know, EMS that we need to process now. And we have um, just uh, social media. Everybody has to look Instagram ready all the time. Like that's not real oh, yeah. life. I, I not just, real life. I mean, I'm at the point now where I go inside a store, like there's a I live in um, a suburb of Nashville and I went into a, a little cute boutique store and, and on the back wall, they had a place for you to take your Instagram photo. And I just thought, oh my God, like, what, like, let it go. What is happening? Like you can't even go shopping anymore without 
gone are the days of, of just privacy and I uh, just wrote a blog by the time this gets out, it will be up, but um, I wrote a blog about distracted parenting because the research now is showing that parents are so on their devices that they're not connecting non-verbally with their babies. And then that's really, we know through research from the seventies, it's, it's called the still face uh, research that when we're not engaging with our babies, that they can't self-regulate and it leads to lifelong issues. So we're now having people that are parents, literally when you go out in the mall or wherever you are, the next time you're out, look around, you're going to see kids doing stuff and parents on their devices. Oh my goodness. I will, I will, I will pay attention to that. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of reciprocal effects. So, so, so anyway, we are stressed and there are a lot of things and I'm a big, big proponent of supplements. And let me tell you, I had a friend over the other day. uh, I hang out with two sisters, Jen and Marla, and they're my vacation buddies. They're always up for a good time. And um, I just adore them. And they're moms of fragile ex kids. And so uh, one child is in particularly impaired. And she said to me, you know, Jason is really having a hard time. And I said, I can see his motor activity being higher. And um, I could see they were nervous. And she said, what do you think about Respiridol or, uh, you know, Abilify it? And I was like, Jen, have you tried like GABA? She's like, no. I said, let's give him some GABA. So, you know, my house is like a pharmacy. So I said, watch this. Give it 30 minutes. So she was looking at him and she goes, Roseanne, I think it's working. I said, yeah, look, his motor activity is different. I even posted it on, on my face, on my stories. He was able to just kind of hang out with us, right? And, you know, he's got pretty high level autism. And, and she was like, this is unbelievable. So I'm, you know, I send her home. I'm like, here's some GABA, order it, you know? And it was just pretty incredible you know, and here she was, she was able to see the effects so much. So she was like, can I have some? I said, here you go. <laughs> so she took it for herself too, right? I got, I got the sublingual one to work real quick in like five minutes. Um, and she was able to, to see how effective it's easy to see when you have a kid who's very agitated, how quickly these things can work. And I just said to her, Gavin may not be the right thing. You can do neurotransmitter testing and we can see what his profile is. Mm -hmm. And she was like, why wouldn't any of my doctors tell me? I'm like, Jen, come on. Have you known me? Just, (laughs) it's not going to happen unless you're going to a functional doctor, you know? So she was like, this is truly incredible. She's like, every time I have an issue, I ask you and you have a solution and it works. And I'm like, yeah, it's, these are, there really is some very effective things. So the supplements I talk about have science behind them. There are many more, there are many, many more. Um, and, but these are the ones that really have had some good research to talk about it. And, you know, and I certainly talk, my favorites, everyone always says like, what's your favorite supplement? I'm like any, basically any form of magnesium is my yes. supplement. Yes. I say like, the same thing. Ha- praise the Lord for magnesium. <laughs> Dr. Rowe would not be sleeping without magnesium and her eye shades. So, and PMF. <laughs> so there's lots of things that, you know, we can do. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. And I've, I've tried GABA myself and I can, I can attest to it. And good stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I want to be respectful of your time. Is it all right if I ask you one, one last question before sure. about your books? 
Yeah. Um, you, in, in your book, it's going to be okay. You share a lot of um, anecdotes of, of client stories. Yeah. Is there anything, is there any story of, of triumph that sticks out to you or any, any story of an interaction that you've had that you would like to share? Yeah. Um, God, there's so many stories. You had bunch. so many. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been working for 30 years. Um, so and good. I, and I think it's so helpful to see what happens to people. And, yeah. and, and also a lot of my stories are really serious stuff, like really hard stuff. And when you see that they get better and we're a bunch of softies around here and there's many times when we just cry in celebration. And I think there's a story in there that I probably didn't share and, um, one is I had a mom who adopted somebody from, she learned about a child that was in foster care from somebody in her life. And she came to love this child and adopted this kid and, you know, classic been in different foster homes and, and um, I've done a lot of, you know, work with kids that are adopted and their nervous systems can't regulate because they didn't get comfort. They didn't get attention. Um, they didn't get love. When they cried, they didn't get picked up in the right time. And so their nervous system doesn't know how to find that hum that's that normal rate right? So on the outside, they show dysregulation. So he was impulsive. He would get in trouble for getting angry. What a great kid this kid was. And so, you know, his mom, you know, came to me and was like, we have to do this. And I remember he, he, you know, most people do 40 sessions or more of neurofeedback. And I remember her, you know, get, meeting with me and um, she was like, he did 20 sessions and she, you know, it was one of those times where we literally both bawled our eyes out because mm -hmm. she was like, it's like an effing miracle, Roseanne, like a miracle. Like he has not once been angry since he started. He is like the teachers called me and asked me what meds he's on, you know? And she's like, you told me not to even hope until 20 sessions, but something happened and it just snapped in, you know? And every time I would speak to her, I mean, just, she said, you changed the course of his life. I really am going to get choked uh. up. And, you know, this was like a number of years ago. And, you know, he was like, he couldn't even see himself like going to school or doing anything. And he wow. just completely blossomed and changed. And it was all because his nervous system regulated. And she's such an example, like she knew her love couldn't be the only thing. She knew she had to get his, his nervous system to calm down, to not be in this activated state. And and he was so struggling, right? And you think, well, I don't have an adopted kid and my kid had love, but I'm saying even in the extremes, these things, you know, we, we had a plan. We didn't just do neurofeedback guys, but we did a little diet change. We did some exercises. We did all kinds of stuff. We, you know, we, we, we put some supplements in there to help his nervous system, like find that and he's doing phenomenal. He's an adult. You know, so it's just, just those kind of things. I've had so many moments. I always thank parents for choosing me to help them on their journey. Um, 
you know, so I feel very privileged. I feel frustrated that this isn't more commonplace. <laughs> like I'm like, whenever somebody is like new, I'm like, I've been doing this 30 years. I'm like, what? You know? And I'm like, oh yeah. When I started 30 years ago, I'd be like, do you want to know about supplements? You know, like <laughs> even now it's still new things. So I would say that's just like a story that, you know, just to see such a dramatic change is something that happens to me all the time, you know, and I love it. A lot of times my parents, so people get better and they just take off. Right. And I don't hear things, but a lot of times my, their parents will reach out to me on Facebook and, you know, and it's always the parent that had the faith that had the belief and was Mm. like, I'm not going to accept this. I'm not going to accept that this meds are the only thing. And, you know, he's clearly not doing better. She's clearly not doing better. And they were like, I'm going to dig, 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 you know? And um, she learned about me because her daughter worked in a school and one of the kids I was working with, the daughter saw some dramatic improvement and went to that mother and said, what are you doing? And they oh, were like, wow. what is this neurofeedback? And they did all this research <laughs> and they called and they came to one of my talks and it was just pretty awesome. So I just love that. It was truly a miracle. Like he would absolutely not have the same life if his nervous system didn't regulate. He, you know, he would have been limited to what he could do. He was so easily set off and agitated and just anxious inside, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't blame them. That's yeah. Oh, what a cool story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, so we've been talking a a lot about your book. It's going to be okay. But I also wanted to ask you, because I know we have a lot of OTs and PTs and therapists listening. You have a book called teletherapy toolkit. Can you talk about that book and how it helps uh, practitioners and therapists? Sure. So um, in the early, I wrote four books in the first four months of the pandemic, but I finished three. Don't ask. I finished, I finished the first book and then I, which is, it's going to be okay. Then I realized that nobody had ever written a book about teletherapy with kids activities. So 31 days, I wrote a 420 page book. Now, don't get me wrong. I had four interns doing the graphics. Okay. So I didn't do the graphics. They did all the graphics and they helped me to format it, but I wrote every lick of that damn thing myself. So I wanted this out there as a resource. So it's a resource for anybody that does teletherapy, OT, PT, psychotherapist, and it it's broken down by, by issue, right? So focus problems, uh, sensory processing, executive functioning, and it has, uh, actual usable strategies people can use, but it also has lots of info sheets. I believe there's 22 or 23 pages of info sheets about everything from OCD to PANS, PANDAS to give parents. Because a lot of times when we are providers, we are always going to the internet to try to give them info. So the base of the book is somatic therapy, which is all about connecting to the body, which is what OTs PTs and speech and pathologists do, not all therapists do, but children can't learn, right? They, they need to connect to their body. That's the anchor for mental health. They need to understand their sensations. So that's what this is a great resource. I have lots of videos on some of the activities I've done on, on YouTube too, but uh, this is definitely a uh, a resource for, for practitioners. If they're really just looking to have something they can 
send off a copy to somebody they're doing teletherapy with and make copies. It's just really like a uh, cookbook really for teletherapy is what it is. And I love that you include info sheets because as a therapist, like that is a time consuming activity. Yeah. Like you're, you're trying to pay, like place things together to, you know, it's all of that's non-billable time and you're spending, Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's just, that's, you, you know, you definitely anticipated the need there. <laughs> well, I mean, so much of what I do is psychoeducation. We just did, you know, I was with my therapist today and, and uh, you know, I'm always like psychoeducation, psychoeducation, and then more psychoeducation. <laughs> like, they forget that they, uh, you know, we just need reinforcement because again, the trust and the belief gets kind of, you know, when healing isn't vertical, right? You know, it, it goes up, right? It trends in that, you know, it's like the stock market, it goes up and down, up and down, but we're trending into a positive trend. And so it gets scary for parents. So psychoeducation is always so important. Love that. And then your other book, it's going to be okay. I'll make sure to have links for the, both of those books um, in the show notes. So if you're listening, you don't have to write anything down. It's all going to be there for you. I've got your website where people can find you and I've got all of your, your social media links. So I love how organized you are. Thank you for sending me all of that. I can just I'm so glad. copy and paste those to the show notes. Is there anything else that I, I didn't ask you that you, you wanted to share with the audience? No, I mean, um, I have a great free resource. I have the teletherapy um, toolkit bonus. It's a list of 100 coping statements that I use to teach parents because one of the greatest trends, of course, is stress, but it's that yeah. kids don't have stress tolerance. That's really it. This has been a great conversation. You really have read my book and I'm so appreciative <laughs> of it. And, and you, I am so excited that you enjoyed it so much because really, truly, sure. this is my life's work. And I put it in this book and I'm like, here, do these things and you will get better. And so it's a great book for practitioners. It's a great book for parents. And uh, I've been loving the feedback. So really been excited about it. Yeah, it, it is a wonderful book. I love the, the way it's organized. It's it's spelled out. You you touch all of any question that I found myself asking as I was reading it, you answered it as well, I was thank you. It. So I, I yeah, I, I mean it was you you clearly appreciate my organizational skills, but I wanted it, you know, to flow and make sense for people and um really just have lots and it's just jam-packed oh with my tools God. and resources. Like I'm like, you want to know about a supplement? Here you go. You want to know about this? And here's the research. And you want to know about that? And here's the research. So, you know, and it's not nerd, you know, I put the research in there, but it's all, it's very oh, readable. So easy to read. Yeah. So easy and to read. Audible's coming. I just haven't had time. Are you going to be of reading it? Of course I'm going to read it myself. Oh. So I, I would buy that just to hear your voice. Oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. I'll have all my saucy stories in there too, you know, of course. Right. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Roseanne, it has been, I have, I have been looking forward to this conversation for a while. I'm just a real big fan of yours and thank you for sharing such wonderful, tangible information. I know listeners are probably like taking notes or they're going to play this again because you gave us some really great tips for addressing mental health in kids. And that's so important. So thank you. Well, thank you. You know, truly is my life's work. And, you know, we, we have to let people know it's going to be okay. You just 
have to take actions differently and trust that just because you haven't heard about it doesn't mean these things aren't valid. So, you know, and that so much of what we do is we touch the lives of the kids we work with. We're just spending so much time opening doors for them. So if this book, you know, if you love and care about, you know, a kid that is struggling, this is a resource that you should recommend. And you should recommend this podcast to five people, you know, because, you know, we do this because we want people to, you know, I want everybody's trajectory of their lives to be changed too. And the the earlier we get kids, the sooner they'll get help. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. Roseanne. That's it for today's episode. I told you it'd be juicy. Please go out and buy her book. It's an easy read and it gives you tangible advice that you can literally apply to your life. I don't even have children and I have this book. It's super handy. She provides a lot of great information and research on different herbs and, and nutrition and, and just the holistic ways that you can improve your own mental health, um, whether you have kids or not. If you enjoy her book, please leave her an Amazon review. It really helps her to get visibility. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show, share it with your friends and family. Um, I don't pay for advertising for this show. It grows every day because of you. So thank you so much for sharing this with others. In my next episode, I will be continuing this theme of healthy kids. And I will be interviewing Dr. Brian Stenzler, who is the author of Dream Wellness, The Five Keys to Raising Kids for a Lifetime of Physical and Mental Health. I feel like it pairs pretty perfectly with today's content. So again, make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss it. Okay, friends, I guess it's that time again to go back out in the real world. So as always, be well and be kind. <laughs>